Hi, this is Kenny Albert. You're listening to the Broadway Hat Podcast with your host, Kyle Hall, the number one podcast for all things Rangers hockey. Welcome back to the Broadway Hat Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hall, and all signs now point to the New York Rangers naming Peter LaViolette as their next head coach. Elliot Freeman broke the news this afternoon, uh, Monday afternoon, and uh, at the favorite from the beginning, I think LaViolette was the guy who was the first name that really popped up for the Rangers, and obviously it's taken Chris Drury quite a bit to uh, land on him as the final choice, but it looks like Peter LaViolette, who's 21 years as a head coach in the NHL, he's won a Stanley Cup, he's taken uh, two other teams to the Cup Finals and lost, he lost with Nashville a couple years ago, uh, lost with Pittsburgh and won the Stanley Cup with Carolina way back in 2005-2006, but a guy who comes with 752 career wins, uh, has a over 500 record in the postseason, has coached over uh, 150 playoff Stanley Cup playoff games, um, U.S. Olympic coach, uh, played for the Rangers back in 1988-89 season, so a former Ranger kind of Glenn say the rest like a you know uh, a, an unknown guy that's played for the Rangers kind of a deal that is now coming in and uh, becoming head coach. So it looks like all signs point to Peter Laviolette. Taking over for the Rangers, interesting move, I think, because when on paper you don't really see it as a huge increase or a huge um, improvement from Gallant, I would think, but a uh, different style coach. We're going to have some more stuff on on uh, LaVillette late in the week. Uh, working on getting on uh, possible some former players of his, um, some people that covered him in the media. So I'm working on piecing some of that together now as the news is coming out, and it should be official, I would think, during the week. I think I saw our guy, Vince Mercagliano, said that they're working out the details right now, and it should be announced sometime in the middle of the week. But uh, this is, the Rangers need to make a move, obviously. The draft's coming up. Uh, free agency's coming up. They had to hire a head coach. And I think out of the, all the candidates that were really available, Laviolette was the best choice. John Hines just doesn't really move the needle for me. I think a lot of Ranger fans agree with me on that. You know, just uh, seems like... Uh, a good reputation as a coach, but never had, never has done it in the playoffs and never won a playoff series. Laviolette's a guy who has pretty much won everywhere he went. Um, his last, before his last stint with uh, the Washington last three years, even in Washington, I mean, it wasn't uh, terrible. Like, I, I know he got fired during the season this last season, but uh, before that, you know, they had two playoff experience, you know, two playoff appearances. They lost in the first round both times, but, um, you know, in Nashville, he won the President's Trophy. Uh, they lost in the Cup final, you know. Before that, when he was with Philly, lost in the Cup final. You know, Carolina, he won the Stanley Cup. So I mean, the three stops before Washington, he took all those teams to the Stanley Cup final. That's all you can ask from a guy. And uh, you know, obviously, a lot will write on him, and and Chris Drury's pretty much career will write on Rangers' career will write on him. I think that uh, most GMs pretty much make it to two coaches if they. Three coaches, um, you know, two, three coaches, depending on how the team performs. So, uh, you know, this is Gallant was seen as his hire, and now LaViolette will be his hire. So I think it was a good move. I, 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 I think not having Mike Sullivan pop open was the difference there. And I think Sheldon Keefe's thing put in Toronto, um, LaViolette was really the only guy that was left that made sense to the Rangers. So I, I think personally it's a good move. Uh, not the sexiest hire, not the hire I think that some Ranger fans probably were hoping for, but all things considered, it's pretty safe. 
and I just hope that he can maybe get the most out of these veterans. I know he's a little bit more of a fiery guy than Gallant in the locker room, not as much as a player coach, so hopefully he can be a new voice in there, and maybe he can unlock some potential from these younger guys, um, even though he's got a history of not playing younger players, which is also maybe an issue for the Rangers going forward. Um, but it should be uh, it should be interesting uh, to see how this all plays out because obviously with all the young kids on this team, they're going to need someone who can come in and not cut all the young guys, but really help the development. So we'll see. He's not really seen as a development coach, um, but yeah, that's that's where we're at now. This is this is it. Peter Laviolette to New York Rangers. And um, that's per Elliott Freeman on Monday, and uh, thereby they're, they're going towards the uh, the end zone here to finalize this. But in other news, I'm told as well that Kevin McCarthy, who's a longtime assistant coach for Peter Laviolette, is expected to join him on his next staff as well. Um, and McCarthy coaches a defense. Uh, he's a defensive coach, which is why at first Gord Murphy was not let go after the season with the rest of the assistants, but since uh, Ranger reporters have learned that he was let go. And that might have been maybe the first indication that Laviolette was coming in because now he's going to bring most likely Kevin McCarthy with him who were on the defensive side. Um, so that's just a small little tidbit on the side of something I'm being told um, from a few sources within uh, that really were closer to Laviolette when I started digging into it. I was told that wherever he goes, Kevin McCarthy will join him. So uh, look out for that, for him being named to the Rangers staff shortly after Laviolette is uh, is named as he starts building on his staff there with the Rangers because obviously, other than Benoit Laird, there gonna be a whole new whole new staff there. We see who the training um, the head trainer will be next year as well. So it'll be a lot of question marks on the Rangers staff uh, going forward to see uh, you know how that all shakes out as well. So a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of moving pieces. Uh, Angel draft, like I said, is coming up. Rangers twenty third pick overall. We're gonna have some great draft. Uh, experts coming on the show that are going to go over some options for the Rangers so you can get to know them, get to learn some of these guys so when they do get their name called on draft day, you're not completely in the dark. So we'll be bringing you some more draft coverage and obviously right after the draft, free agency is right here. So we're jam-packed with uh, episodes coming up and uh, and stuff for you. And we have some great player episodes coming up that we've already recorded for with some of the guys too because this summer we're trying to get as much uh, recording it as, as early as possible because a lot of guys go on summer vacation. So we have some great player interviews. We have great analyst interviews. We have great draft interviews. So um, really exciting stuff coming up for the show. And today we have two great guests. And I, I love doing the double episode. We used to do it all the time. But uh, we have two great guests today. So we're joined by Kevin Woodley, the uh, goaltend. I call him a goaltending guru. He doesn't like to be called that. But uh, he really is. He does a great job covering goaltending in, in Goal Magazine, also NHL.com. Uh, he does a great job. Just I, I call him a goalie enthusiast. I'll call him that. I, he'll probably prefer that. Uh, but this is a great, really fun interview with him. I love talking goalies. I can talk goalie bads, goalie mass with him all day long. So it's a really great episode, really great interview with him. Uh, talking about Igor, the young goalies in the NHL, and kind of the future of the position. And then we're joined by a guy who's had literally every job in hockey. Uh, agent, GM, owner, player, coach. Uh, everywhere, Pat uh, Pat Curcio, who uh, thanks to Locker Token for hooking that up, and uh, he was a great to have on, and uh, great knowledge of the game, some great stories from his coaching, from his ownership to agent. I mean, like I said, the guy, other than a stick boy, I think he's held every job in hockey, so it was great to get him on the show. And uh, But thanks to Locker Token again for setting his interview up, setting up the Stephen Camper interview last week, 
And uh, they're actually sponsoring both of our they're the sponsor of both of our interviews today. So thank you to Locker Token. We talked about them last week, but it's pretty much you want to get close to NHL ownership. Like that's the way to go is, is to go on their platform. Um, they have a great deal with the Oshawa Generals they assigned that Pat put together that we talked about on his interview. Um, basically, you're almost like a team owner. So um, the inside information and stuff. So check that out. Go so check out Locker Token. Go check them out. And uh, and obviously NFTs and uh, crypto, that's the way of the future. And Stephen Camper talked about last week on the show and how, you know, especially if you're overseas, these players are using it more and more. So make sure you go check out Locker Token and check out Pat's interview. Check out his interview with Stephen. And uh, they really talk about it, you know, much better than I would. And uh, it's really the future, the wave of the future now, especially with fantasy sports and stuff like that. So go check out Locker Token. I can't thank them enough for helping us set up some of these interviews. And hopefully we'll get more of their guys on. We're working on getting more of their ambassadors on the future, too. Uh, I really appreciate them. Ben and the team over there have been great. So thank you, Locker Token. Uh, and our first interview is going to be with Kevin, and then right after Kevin, it's going to be with Pat. So uh, enjoy the interviews, and I'll see you on the other side. All right, we're now joined by a very special guest. You can find him on NHL.com. Also, Ingle Magazine, the goalie guru, Kevin Willie. Thanks so much for joining us. I always get nervous when people introduce me that way. Um, I try to learn as much as I can about the position, but anyone, including my beer league team that has seen me play it, um, just say those that, those that can't do teach those that can't do and can't (laughs) teach. They talk about it. I'm the last. Well, you do a great job talking about it. I love your stuff. Uh, you do a great job in the gold magazine, also NHL.com as well, but I, I read your in gold magazine stuff more because I've loved the goalie position forever. Uh, I think Mike Richter's goalie mask was the reason behind that. Um, but actually, let's talk about that really quick. What's your favorite goalie mask of all time? I love. Listen, we were spoiled in New York where Richter had a great mask. Lundqvist always had great masks. What's on your list? You know, Lundqvist would be there in part because he stuck with a the theme that made them iconic, right? Like there, there was a common theme to each one. I liked masks that you could identify from a distance. Mm-hmm. But then I also, the, there's, there's an artistic side. Like I was that kid who grew up drawing, you know, actually I'd lie if I said it was goalie masks. I I did a little bit of that, but you know, I was actually more like a comic book kid. Like I grew up, grew up drawing stuff. And so I, I do like the detail as well. And this is a bit of an obscure pull, but it will have, you know, there are some ties to the Rangers. Um, After he left New York, Alex Ald's mask with the Montreal Canadiens from a distance, it was the Ken Dryden mask. Like if you looked at it from a distance, which by the way, I have tattooed on my left arm, um, the, the famous stance in the mask. Yeah. And then one of the, one of the sayings from his book on the inside. So like, obviously I'm a fan of that mask from a distance. That's what it looked like. If you got up close, it was Dave Gunnarsson was the artist. And if you got up close, um, there were details within that, what you saw from a distance and then up close, there was, you know, Jacques Plante famously taking off the mask with the, you know, the bloodied face. Uh, there was Patrick Waugh winking. Um, there were homages to, you know, um, the building. There were, you know, to the Canadians, great. So it was this blend of, you know, from the upper row, the last seat in the house, it had an iconic Dryden tribute look. But as you got closer, there was a lot of really cool, um, you know, tribute style details built into that mask. It's got something similar 
to what we saw from Freddie Anderson for the outdoor game this mm-hmm. year. Um, it, uh, it was Joe Airbrush that did that one where like from a distance, it was just a black and red, you know, sort of like aggressive looking hurricanes theme. But as you got close, man, the amount of like, it was an angels and demons theme tied into a prison break theme with like hidden little secrets everywhere. Like it was so cool up close. So I like that kind of thing. And I think Alex's mask just because of the historic reference to Dryden is probably my favorite recent masks. And again, uh, you know, like for different reasons, but Markstrom's, you know, with some okay, of the, yep. the level of flame and detail, same artist as, as, as Freddie Anderson's um, just crazy level of detail with the flames. Uh, I love that the artist paints the straps on it to match the mask. So you don't see the white strap over all this beautiful artwork. It's blended into it. And then the last part was like, it was a flaming skull. His first one that he did for him. And kind of like the old school where the mask is a head. Um, the teeth were around the opening of the mask. And if you noticed it was, they were missing teeth. And I asked the artist, you know, is there any significance to the pattern? Like, like you, like, you know, it's like the, what are the, what are the video game people call it? Is it a, a Easter egg? that's in there um the 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 missing teeth in this aggressive like toothy flaming skull mask the missing teeth were the exact teeth that his teammate chris tanev the defenseman who's like famous for taking eating pucks and losing teeth and all those things broken like just an absolute warrior it was chris tanev's sort of smile was the missing teeth so (laughs) i thought that was you know little little details like that but from a distance again it just looks like a really aggressive again back row of the stadium you can identify what that mask is and then as you get up close and look at it there's some really cool personal details i like those kinds I like the guys, like you said, that stick with the same kind of theming for most of their career. Because like you said, recognizable, like back in the 90s, it was one time, you know, you had one mask, right? It was like Andy Moog's mask, like with the Bruins, like that like sticks out to me. Or like Van Deesbrook's, like, even his mask before with the Rangers, they had the B, they had the B on the back of it. But then the Van, the Florida mask, obviously, is like world famous, I feel like. Or even uh, Luongo when he was in Florida and he used to yeah. have the pink panther. Like he had it, the mask may have looked different, but there was always a pink panther on yeah. it that just like Lundquist with the statue, of, you know, like the uh, the Statue of Liberty uh, image, like not the the full statue, but the the head. Yeah, yeah. Um, that logo. Um, what was the other one? I was I was I was trying. Kirk McLean here in Vancouver, right? Like, yeah, probably not widely known, but like an iconic look that like when Thatcher Demko did a tribute to that, like people lost their minds. When they did the the 50th anniversary and all the ex Canucks skated out, Kirk skated out in a replica set of his gear with that mask on, and people connected viscerally, not just to Kirk McLean as the Canucks goalie, but to the look of Kirk McLean as the Canucks goalie. I don't think the reaction would have been. I actually helped procure the tribute set because they didn't. He he had given his away. Um, he didn't have it. Nobody on the Canucks had something that looked similar. There was a local guy that I'd been put in touch with that had built a set just to look like McLean when he plays beer league. And so we managed to arrange for that to be there. And I, and I guarantee you the reaction to Kirk isn't as visceral. If the gear doesn't look how everyone remembers him looking. That's awesome. Yeah. And Igor did it this year. He went back with a throwback with Richter. And actually, when he did that, his whole game turned around. He was un- unbeatable in May and March after that. And Halak changed his mask halfway through the year after he struggled and he became unbeatable for a little bit. So it's all, you know, look good, play good, right? 
look good, feel good, play good, man. Like that is a legitimate thing. And it's interesting as we get into the goalie geekdom here, like, you know, there are some goalie coaches that have hard and fast rules uh, about what you can wear, you know, no dark edges here in Vancouver on the outside of your equipment. Cause the theory is it frames your perimeter and in a split second, or frankly, less than a second that a shooter is getting a quick glance and picking a spot. Do we really want him to know where your coverage ends and the net begins, or do we want to have white on that part of the pads and those edges of the glove so that there's visual ambiguity. And maybe that's the difference in a game where, like I said, fractions of section of, of seconds and fractions of um, inches could be the difference between it catching a piece or going in the net, um, you know, but then that prevents some of the goalies that come through here from doing some of the things that they want to do visually and, and that look good, feel good, play good thing. So it's, it's an interesting question. I don't pretend to have the answers to it, but boy, do I love digging into all the different opinions. I love you brought that up because we actually were just talking before and that Stephen Valicato does such a great job of goalies and Ranger fans are spoiled because we have Valley on every game and, and Hank in the studio for most games too. So between the two of them, we get some great goalie input uh but igor started the year off slow i think everyone knows that and then he changed his pads back to last year's vesna pads in november and valley was saying like the reason you know sometimes you know the goal looks smaller goal looks bigger depending on what the pads look like and people believe in that and igor immediately after he had these brand new pads went right back to old faithful from last year well see and that's what i that's how i look at it too like like the scientific argument and this goes back to flurry's bright yellow pads and then the optometrist in ottawa being asked about them and how the eye is drawn to yellow and so does that mean the eye is drawn to yellow like as the the first color the eye picks up is yellow so does that mean the shooters are drawn to it and they're going to pump it off his pads because they're drawn to the yellow or does that allow them to again like the canucks coach ian clark his theory of visual ambiguity versus distinct edges is that going to let them know where your pad ends and the net begins like that debate at the end of the day to me um or the dark dark looks bigger dark looks smaller like i know goalies anders nilsson i remember him uh when he came to vancouver's first year all dark blue pads and saw himself in them when they did an end of year video session and felt like he looked small and, you know, like that whole black is slimming thing, right? Like mm-hmm. felt he looked small, goes to the world championships, orders white pads for the world championships, plays. I think he won the world championships that year, like plays really, really well, better than he had during the season. And whether dark actually makes you look small or not, who knows? I like, again, who knows whether it matters to shooters? Like I know a lot of professional goalies that think it's all a bunch of hooey, but it mattered to Anders Nilsson. And it helped with his confidence. And to me, that's all that matters. Again, look good, feel good, play good. Whatever gives you confidence as a goaltender, because I can break down technically, you know, I've learned a lot. I can, I'm not an, I don't know as much as the goalie coaches that share with me so that I can help continue learning, but I can break down a lot of things technically. Getting between their ears, like between the pipes is one thing, between their ears is another. And so to me, anything that helps a goalie feel better about his game whether it's superficial or based in science, uh, is a positive. So Igor Shosturkin this year got out to a slower start. I mean, I say slower start. The guy still was unbelievable. But and then, yep. but come March first, he became the Vesna Trophy Igor, even better at some times, and, and you know did his best to try to carry the Rangers in the playoffs. They just couldn't score goals. But uh, he is uh, to me. I know there's other goalies in the league that are very good. To me, I think he's the best goalie in the NHL. Um, when you look at Igor's game, I, I mean, how much do you enjoy watching this game? Like, what do you enjoy most about watching this game or what's your input on him? 
Okay, so like enjoy. Yes, I love watching <laughs> his game. Um, you know, we've done some things. There are some things he does that nobody else does. Uh, his movement, uh, whether it's on his skates, his edge control, the precision of it, uh, or on his knees. Like he skates from his knees. He moves from his knees better than a lot of guys move from their skates. Um, and and I think the term that I, I love the most when I've done stories on him, and actually, again, comes from the goalie coach here in Vancouver, Ian Clark. He said he's like, who spent a lot of time in Russia, not with Igor specifically, but he's been over there, obviously with Bobrovsky when he was the coach with the Columbus Blue Jackets. And, um, you know, obviously he's got a lot of great things to say about, um, you know, about Russian goaltenders. He's got some roots in with some of the coaches and like his terminology when he said he watching Igor on the ice, it's like, it's like he's a hovercraft out there. And I think that's just perfect. Like the way he moves in a game that is all about not just being able to get East-West to counter all the East-West plays we see. And I know Valakat talks about it a lot. The greatest, you know, one of the greatest increases in offense for the last five years is slot line plays below the hash mark or low slot line plays, as he calls them. Um, his ability to sort of move around, whether it's on his skates or whether it's on his knees, is just at another level. It's it's incredible to watch the way he gains rotation. Like he's not just making big pushes and getting across he's gaining angle he's gaining rotation like it's it's beautiful it is a as a goalie geek it is a thing of beauty to behold um it was interesting to watch him struggle earlier this year uh in that like we don't really know why obviously but and i think steve who is so good at what he does um has brought some of this analysis forward on the broadcast and me and him have talked about it and you know, he talked about stance and like stance to me is such a crucial part of goaltending and it's somewhat individual, but there are some, you know, sort of, um, there's very few absolutes in goaltending, but there are some things you can, you can sort of like the lower and wider you are in a stance, the harder it is to move. Like that's maybe not an absolute because some guys are freaks and they can overcome that. But generally that is true. And, you know, I know Steve did some measurements and I, they did it on the broadcast where they're actually able to show that he had widened out his stance a little bit. And and what that does to you in terms of reducing that mobility that I just talked about being such a key factor for him, um, because as soon as you get wider in your stance, you have to sort of it's harder to keep your all that edge control. I talked about keeping your skates under your knees. It's so much harder to move because you dig your edges in. You've got you've got to sort of clear that lead side and almost lift up and out of it before you can make that rotation to make that push. Um, it also makes you lower to the ice. So again, sort of vertical coverage and pucks that he was getting a piece of before or staying patient on before it's that much harder to, when you widen out your stance. And what's one of the reasons we can, you know, maybe inadvertently widen out our stance as a goaltender, knowing that that's not ideal. Um, knowing that, you know, maybe we have a, you know, we need to be a little narrower. Well, to me, it's expectations, right? Like he has so much expectations coming into this year. And the first thing you do as a goalie, like goaltending and golf are very similar. Usually trying harder doesn't work. And one of the sort of tells of a goaltender that's maybe trying to do too much is that they will tend for a lot of guys to widen out in their stance. Because you feel like you're more engaged, you're more on your edges, it feels more explosive. It's not necessarily true, but it just feels that way. It's like sort of that, that's how I see trying harder. And I think when you look at the expectations, that would be the tendency. And again, I'm not saying that's right. That's an outsider's analysis. That's an opinion. I haven't talked to him about that. But that would be a very natural tendency for a goaltender who feels the weight of expectations, who needs to try and live up to the heights of a Vesna and carry his team. 
try and do a little too much and it would show up for a lot of guys in a slightly wider stance. And I think if you look at the finish he had, I think you can go back and look at the work that Valakat did on, on the distance of his feet apart and that stance and the mechanics and how everything springs from that. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence. Yeah, it was weird. It was weird to see him struggle. And it's one of those things where like, and Ranger fans, again, I'm a Yankee fan too. So we've been spoiled by closers with the Yankees and it's like goaltending with the Rangers. We go from Rick there, a couple of rough years until Hank came. And Mike Dunn was pretty good, though, for a couple of years. But uh, anchor your boy Kirk McLean was there, too. But, um, you know, then Hank came, and then now we have Igor. So it's like, you know, one after another, here we're goaltending. So you get spoiled after a while, and you're like, oh, what's going on there? And you look up, the guy's got like a 2-6 goals allowed, which is like not terrible. But now, you know, he has one nine seven to close out the last two months. Like, oh, yeah, there he is. Like, you know, he's back now. But it was – uh. It was yeah, a concerning I mean, moment. <laughs> he, I mean, he still finishes he, like a down year or stretches of the season where he was down and he still finishes eighth in the NHL with goals saved above expected by, yeah. you know, by clear sights numbers. I think part of the problem with his year the season before is it wasn't just a great year. It was historically great. And anytime something is historically great, chances are it's going to be tough to repeat, right? Like, especially when it's your first time, like your first yeah. time having to live up to that type of expectation, setting the standard so high. Like to me, if he hits 940 last year, and I can't remember where he ended up, but he wasn't that far below it. Like to me, if he stayed above 940 last year, and and frankly, that's such, an, such a silly sort of determination. Um, but to me, you can't keep him out of the Hart Trophy last season if he stays above that mark. Like that seems to be that level. Um, uh, but the fact he dipped ever so slightly below it, like, shouldn't change the fact that he had like one of the greatest goaltending seasons we've seen. Like it was that freaking good. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those like, things where you come in every game, you, you expect to win, or, or at least you know keep it under three goals or two goals. It's just cra- it's crazy when you think about it. And then, the question about the Rangers now is obviously they're set for their starter. Obviously set great contract for them. Great team. Contract oh, hey, there. by the way, like not just set, like, like let's just quickly give you his numbers from the playoffs. And I know it was only one round, but like his adjusted save percentage at plus 4.7%, like for all the talk of Aiden Hill and Sergei Bobrovsky, nobody was better than Igor Shesterkin in that first round. Like that, that's how good his first round was. Um, you know, on a sort of, obviously they've piled up more um, expect, you know, goals saved above expected as the playoffs have gone on because he only played one round, but from a uh, per shot basis, sort of, sort of dumbing that metric down to sort of make it more of a rate metric. Nobody was better. As a matter of fact, like Bob right now, and I, the last two games of obviously heard him, like he's barely above what Igor saved in terms of above expected in the first round alone. Like he was, that was historically good Igor in that first round. Like I said, if they could have scored a couple goals here, we would maybe still be talking about the Rangers, but they cannot, you know, for all the offense, they picked up the trade deadline. Couldn't get done there. Which is probably why they're looking for head coach. <laughs> um, so, so actually you brought up the, before we get back in the Rangers though, but you brought up the Stanley cup, Aiden Hill. And one of the best things I love about goaltending, I love about hockey is that anyone can go on a run. Any team can go on a run, any player can go on a run. This guy, before the playoffs, when he came in, didn't even start the first round because if he had injury and he was basically on the bench. Two months off in the AHL, plays one game in the AHL a month before that game on a conditioning stint and gets pulled in the game. And now he's in the, probably going to win the Stanley Cup. It's insane. Absolutely insane. 
You know, and, and he's full value for it too. Like, listen, one of my catch phrases, so to speak, whenever I do these, one of the things I like to throw out there is goaltending never exists in a vacuum, right? Like it is a function of team play. Um, you're, you know, and it's not just good defense, bad defense. Although, you know, in generic terms, there's something to that. You're going to have better results behind a better defensive team, but it's predictability. And in a game that has become increasingly unpredictable in terms of dynamic offense and the way teams achieve it, you have to have the ability to trust your team to narrow the options for you, for lack of a better term. I need to worry about this because I know that my guys got that and my other guy on this other side, he's got the other thing. And so I can focus on this. And if that play gets made over there, I can still probably get there. But chances are he's at least going to disrupt them. Like the ability to sort of narrow your options as a goaltender when you're making those reads and trying to decide where your focus should be. Like we do something at Ingoal Magazine called Pro Reads, where we sit down on a weekly basis with NHL goaltenders and we watch film with them. We've done one with we've we've done a series with Yarrow Halak. I think we've run about three or four of them. We got another three or four to go. And Yarrow's great because he's a veteran. And he reads the game exceptionally well. And so the goalies walk us through their video and they they explain to us what their read is. The idea is to help young goalies sort of figure out what to look for, how to read a play because it's a bit of a lost art. Um, goalie school goalies they get out there and all they do is like drills where it's like puck A, puck B, puck C, and they always know where the shot's coming from. It's not dynamic enough. They don't learn to read the game. So the idea is to help them. And it's been amazing to me. Like there's been some sessions where like there's mushroom clouds going off in my head. The first one we did with Carey Price, I thought I knew how much information these guys process in real time. What they actually do blew me away. And I'm 20 years covering the league and talking to guys. But the big part of it that I think surprised even me was how much of that read isn't what the isn't whether it's a right-handed shot carrying the puck or a one-time option on the other side of that pass like that's all part of it how they're trying to attack tendencies of a shooter they may have faced for years it's more about like equally about sometimes more about what my defenseman is doing i'm taking this option cuz i know he's got that one so i can take an extra step here or choose this save selection there knowing that I can commit because somebody else has got something else taken care of. And it's such a huge part of the game. So, um, and, and that's a long winded way of saying it's a, it, a lot of goalies would like to play in Vegas, <laughs> right? Bruce Cassidy's system is goalie friendly. They do keep things to the outside and, and, and the same would be true of Bob. As amazing as Bob has been, like his his expected save percentage in these playoffs up until his last two games was almost identical to Hills. And they're both outperforming it by, by a similar margin. So it's kind of like, it's not to d- diminish what they've done. They've both been exceptional, but they've both been exceptional. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence the environments they're playing behind have an element of, of predictability to them. And I think that's a, in some ways what made Igor's performance in that first round so spectacular was just how low his expected save percentage was. Um, I'm, you know, I've, I had it up in front of me and then I switched to a, a different chart. But if I remember, like he was in the 870s in terms of expected save percentage, 870s. That's and cool. outperformed that at an incredible margin. Uh, both Bob and Aiden Hill came into the Stanley Cup final closer to 893. Your average is around 899. So they're, you know, 
not ideal defensive environments. I would argue that a round against the Edmonton Oilers significantly lowered Aiden Hills expected um, because they produce dynamic offense like no one else. Uh, but overall, like these are teams that are really good at playing a system that allows their goaltenders to see chances that they're, they, they historically are better at managing. They play to their goalie strengths. Like, in the, and that's, it's a bit of a golf analogy again, horses for courses. Some guys love the way certain courses set up and they always do well there. Um, playing a defensive system that allows your goaltender to play to his strengths rather than exposes his weaknesses as much as you can only control so much of that, trying to control it is an important part of this equation that I think a lot of, a lot of, I don't know if more and more teams seem to understand that. And that wasn't always the case, but I'm not sure a lot of fans understand, you know, how important that is. Like if I've got a goaltender, to give you the sim- most simplistic example. If I've got a goaltender that is exceptional on in zone reads, but maybe isn't the quickest laterally or doesn't have the best footwork off the rush. Now there are some things I can change in his game to mitigate that as a goalie coach, not I, but things a goalie coach would change. Um, But I'm, if I'm an acquiring team or if I'm building my system, do I want to set something up where, okay, we're going to be a team that, that trades chances off the rush. Cause we have so much great offense off the rush. We're willing to give it up on the other end. Well, now I'm not playing to my goalie strengths, right? Like I've seen countless examples of teams acquire a guy, pay a guy and then put him behind a system that plays to all his weaknesses rather than his strengths and wonder what the hell happened. And so I think a lot of that in this cup final, including Aiden Hill is he's playing exceptionally, but he's behind a system that allows him to play to his strengths and limits other teams abilities to target his weaknesses. Bob through the first three rounds is the same thing. Statistically screens have not been a great area for him. We're seeing that in the cup final Vegas has done a better job of creating the types of shots with traffic that have typically given him trouble. I don't think through the first three rounds that those, that the other teams did enough of that. Uh, yeah, they, they definitely found something on them, right? Cause they're, they're outperforming where other teams have against Florida and Florida's had a great defense all year. I seen, well, not all year, but really since the playoffs started, I mean, their performance against Boston was unbelievable. Um, and obviously Bob was a huge part of that, but um, going back to the Rangers for uh, backup goalie. I love Halak. Older guy. We don't know if he's going to return or not. He might. There's rumors of retirement. There's rumors he might go somewhere else. I don't know. But if I Halak, love, okay, okay, I, I haven't texted Yarrow to check on retirement rumors. Okay, um, you want to text him now while we're on the while yeah, we're yeah, on? yeah. Send him a quick note. Yeah, um, like retire or no, and then we can announce it here. But I will say, as an outside observer who got to know him a little bit here in Vancouver, I would be very surprised by that. Okay. Um, as long I, my, my hunch when he came through town and we sat down and did the pro reads, we spent a good half hour together. Um, you know, I, I love Yarrow. Like he's such a thinker of the game. Um, and if you think about what he's accomplished in the game, like a lot, like a lot, mm-hmm. you know, like think, like think about Yarrow at his size right now. Would he even get drafted? Like, <laughs> like would teams give him a chance? Like forget being drafted. Cause actually now that I think about it, I'm not sure he was, I can't remember if Montreal drafted him or just free agented him uh, at the beginning. But at the end of the day, I don't know how many guys his size even get a chance. And he's on the verge of 300 wins in the national hockey league. And this is why I would be surprised, very surprised at him retiring, unless there's just no options that work for him or his family available. Like if the Rangers were interested, I would think he would come back because he is really close to 300 wins. And I believe He's based on numbers, Yeah. I, I, I think that milestone means a lot to him. I think right. it means a lot to him. Uh, I think he's driven by it. 
Um, it's such a big milestone for goalies. Like there, it's a pretty short list of guys that have hit that, right? Like it's a big one. Um, you look at Craig Anderson getting there, like, yeah, I, so I would be very surprised by retirement unless it was a case where if if the Rangers weren't interested and nobody else came calling or the options didn't look attractive to him, he has moved around a fair bit in the last couple of years. I don't know that the experience was great here in Vancouver. Um, but Yarrow can still play. Yarrow reads the game like like at, at such a high level. He thinks the game at such a high level. I think as the year went on with New York, he got more comfortable. Uh, I think that bring. I think you're getting the best out of him in a second year because those reads are so much more dialed in. And so, yeah, I would be a I would be a strong advocate if he's willing to of the, of the Rangers bringing him back. And I would be very surprised if he retired just because he's done with playing. Because I think he still loves the game. Um, and I know that milestone means a lot to him. All right, well, that's good news because I like him. I like him a lot. And I think for Igor, he needs a guy who I, – I like him having a veteran guy behind him. Just I, I always like just a veteran backup. I don't – you know, obviously a young guy. I got Dylan Garan who's done a good job. Hey, WHL guy, so I'm sure you probably know of him, but – I, been a, he's uh he's been a bit he's been an in goal regular my business partner whose son is uh just heading into the dub well he's played in the dub but should be there full time next year they skate together in the summers and stuff so we're and, and just I love his mindset too like I think you like I know maybe the first year pro didn't go as well as a lot of people might have anticipated but I think you got a really good one there in Dylan Graham but I I'm always of the belief that if you have time use it especially when it comes to development time in the American Hockey League like. Don't be rushing anybody because, um, you know, it's I'll, I'll go Mitch Corn on this one. One of my favorite quotes of his and I always butcher it like hockey is not a game of hockey is like something about beer pong. Ho- hockey is not a game of shots. Hockey is a game of patterns. And the more you play at the professional level, the better equipped you are or to recognize those patterns as a goaltender. And so experience to me trumps all else. I, I'd I'd love to see them give him as much as Dylan probably would like to be in the NHL. I think the more, if you have time down there, use it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, everyone I talked to in, in Hartford, they really speak. about his, his run in the playoffs was great too. He played really, really well in the playoffs with them, but I would love to see them give him one more year, bring a vet in or keep Halak. And I, I think Halak really turned around the second half of the year. Um, seemed like he really liked New York. Seemed like he really enjoyed New York from all the interviews I saw with him. And uh, but if for some reason they move on from him, there's a bunch of names out there. I want to ask you a couple of guys uh, who might be a fit here. Jonathan Quick is a name that then the post put this out. Jonathan Quick was a name that they uh, that was out there. Uh, David R- was Rich Rick. I Riddich probably from from Winnipeg. Right? Yep. Yeah, and Stalock who was out in um, Chicago this year. Those are just a couple of names that were thrown out there for possible replacements. Is there a guy who? Other than Halak, just keep him out of the conversation. I think we both want him back in New York. But is there a guy that's like a veteran guy that you'd be like, oh, you know, he might be a good fit behind Igor? Um, so who was the the first name on that was Quick. Okay, yeah. so um, obviously a ton of experience. Um, two Stanley Cups and all those things. Stylistic-wise, uh, and interestingly enough, uh, Sean Burke is the the goalie coach, goalie director in Vegas, who is part of the process that has eight, had first – Lorraine Brassois and Aiden Hill playing ahead of because Quickie's been healthy this whole time, right? And he actually won quite a few games down the stretch for for Vegas, but both those guys were tabbed ahead of him in the playoffs. Um, both those guys play a little more conservative, predictable position positional game. Sean Burke is a disciple of who? Benoit Lair of the New York Rangers. Like his his philosophy is very much rooted in that inside out approach. Um, sim- simplify the game. Jonathan Quick, 
uh, has reined in his game uh, positionally since his days with the LA Kings 20, you know, the, the cups in 2012 and 2014, he's not as aggressive as he used to be, but relative to the sort of positional preferences of the teachers involved, both Sean Burke and Ben Waller, he's aggressive. And there are times where he moves himself right out of position with that aggressiveness where, where goals, sometimes they look like he doesn't have a chance, but when you really break it down, it's like, they did he not have a chance or did he not give himself on a chance that probably, you know, could have been a much easier save or could have been an easy save. And it looks difficult because of that aggression. So stylistically, I don't know that that's a fit with Benoit there. I could be totally wrong on that. That's just from the outside looking in uh, second name on that list. David Riddich. Yeah. Uh, I thought took some steps technically uh, in, in, in with Winnipeg last year. I've always believed there's a high ceiling there. He had moments with Calgary. It just seemed like um, it's ironically, they called him big save day. But when I look at the analytics, when, when scores were tight, the performance dropped. Um, and I think the big save Dave thing is more than just a nickname. Like he, his numbers on high danger chances were really good, but his numbers up until going to Winnipeg this year on the low stuff, that's where he got hurt. Bad goals. In other words, right. And that what you, what's tough as a backup goalie, when you're not playing that much, is the ability to find your game and manage your game and not give up bad goals when you don't feel the rhythm and timing. And so, so Quickie's a guy that I think because of his style and his experience relies on playing a little more. I think there are style elements in David Rich's game that he's going to have more success if he plays more. Again, I saw some improvements in Winnipeg, just not sure how far they came. Um, and the third one, sorry. I had Staylock. Staylock. Al's a guy who plays, it's kind of quickie. Like he plays, I, I lo- like you couldn't pick a better locker room guy than Alex Staylock. Everybody will absolutely love this guy. I think his success this year came playing in a more prominent role. I think he has the foot speed, the athleticism, the patience on his skates to play in today's NHL. That dynamic game in some ways suits him. Uh, maybe even more so than than a game where where it's a little more sort of buttoned down. Um, he's not a big guy. He's not a puck blocker. He's very active in his reads and, and in everything he does in the net. Huge personality. Everybody that plays with him loves him. But I just wonder how much, and he had a great year and a great bounce back year. Like you cheer for him in the goalie union because of all he's had to overcome. But I do wonder if you see the same level of play if he's playing every two weeks rather than two weeks straight. And that's to me, the biggest thing. A lot of goalies can give you really good two weeks, but they can't give you a good every two weeks. And that's what I love about Yarrow, which is why I see him as a fit. Yarrow's learned to play every two weeks, Hmm. but there's always been a higher upside. If you need, you need him for two straight weeks. That's always a tough balance to find. Right. And for a lot of organizations like, Hey, we'll take an every two week guy as our backup right now. And then our guy in the minors, our first guy up will be, if, if we all said we need somebody for two weeks or two months, he might actually leapfrog him because he's in rhythm and he's been playing and he's a guy who's got starter material. There are very few guys that can do what Yarrow's done for the last little bit in his career, which is be both, be a, be a two straight weeks or be an every two week guy. Um, and so that's, you know, that's a question that's never really been answered on Quickie. Uh, I think there are still maybe some questions about David Rich's ability to do that. And I think at least stylized from the outside looking in, you know, it's no coincidence that Al had his best season in a while this year playing on a more regular basis than he had in, the, in, in his, you know, most recent NHL experience. 
I think the Rangers saw that with Gorgiev. I mean, he's a guy who you put in there when Igor went down for a week or so, he would step up and play great. And then he kind of would come back in after two weeks and struggle again. So he, and then obviously had a great year out in Colorado. He's a guy who just needs to play. It's just his style. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's certainly something to that. Um, sometimes it can be mental as much because, because Igor, uh, sorry, um, Georgie, and I'm a big Georgie fan. Um, you know, at a time when a lot of people had questions, uh, you know, I was an advocate if I was an outside team looking to pursue a guy who I thought could step into a one, one, a one B mix. I thought he was that guy. Um, technically I don't see him as a guy who should, that's the thing, right? Like you watch quick and you watch Al stay and there's a lot of extra moving parts. And to me, the more sort of the more movement you have in the game, the more reliant you are in rhythm and timing, the more reliant you are in rhythm and timing, the less likely you are to be, you know, equipped to manage once every two weeks, right? Cause you're, you, you don't get that rhythm and timing in practice. Um, but it, it's not an absolute. There are very few absolutes in this position. There are some guys that, that can, you know, that can kind of do both. And when I looked at Georgie, technically he didn't have all the makings of a guy who needed to play a lot to play well. And yet you're right. Statistically, that's what happened. So I was happy to see him get the opportunity, got to watch him in the first round. You talk about, um, you know, the Rangers not scoring enough for first just Eric. And I feel bad for him because I thought he played really well in that Colorado series against Seattle. Certainly wasn't his fault by any means, but a team that just had too much going against it. Uh, in terms of the personnel they were missing. Um, you know, I, th- I think he gets tied to the defending cup champions being ousted in the first round. And I thought, I thought Georgie, I, again, I covered that series for NHL.com and I thought Georgie played really well in it. Yeah. They had a ton of that. They just ran into the injury bug there. They, just, they had too much stuff going on there. Um, all right. A couple rapid fire questions before I let you go. All right. Is right. it gonna be tough? You got to put on your thinking cap here, right? Or thinking mask, we should say. My, my dunce cap. Okay. Dunce I'm in. Cap. All right. You're a coach. Game seven, Stanley Cup. Who's your active goalie you want in the net right now? Active, man, honestly. Like, I still think Igor Shesterkin is pushing for the best goalie in the world. And if I was laying Vesna odds, like if I was making a bet on who's winning the Vesna next year, he's going to be like, I, I'm. I'm hoping that others haven't picked this up and that he gets long odds so I can place that bet and cash a futures next year. Cause that's who I'd bet on. So he, you know, Rangers fans would love to hear this. Uh, he'd be on that list for me. It is hard to go against Andre Vasilevsky just because of the track record, frankly, you know? Um, and I think you saw that this year with, with Igor's struggles at the beginning, a big part of what makes Andre the best goalie in the world, quote unquote, is his ability to do it year in and year out. Um, and the durability and you'll see, you know, you heard him talk about it after that. Maybe he has played too much. Maybe he does need to find a better balance there, but man, the amount this guy has played at a level he has played. Um, it's hard for me to go against Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, but Igor would be right there on that list with him. Hey, listen, the guy's got cups. I mean, he's got a lot to back it up. All right. So how about all time, all time. Who's the guy, you know, and, and, and here's the thing. I didn't start. In goal, to, I didn't grow up. I'm I'm almost fifty, but I didn't grow up in the position. So I came to goaltending at, at 35. So I've got 15 years in here. So there are some names out there that you know, like I said, I got Dryden tattooed on my arm, but I didn't watch them play. I, I, I'm guessing there was some pretty good structure in front of him too, right? Different <laughs> game back then. Yeah. Um, I have trouble going against the goat, right? Like I have trouble picking anyone other than the goat. And to me, the greatest of all time is Dominic Hasek. Like, and I know he didn't, he put a, and, and, and Berder's in that conversation for sure. Um, 
but I have trouble picking against Dom and not just because I really want to get Dom on the podcast if he's listening, but uh, uh, no, like, and I've had a chance, you know, I'll give you a real quick one. I've had the chance later in his career when he was at Detroit, as I was just starting out in the goalie sort of side of things, it's just starting to geek out on this stuff. I had the chance to talk to him about some of these things. And one of the ones like the, just a great example to me of the way he thought the game and the way he connected all those patterns and pieces was the barrel roll save, right? We can all picture mm-hmm. Dom, you know, like, you know, the rolling over and the pads go up in the air, but the way he broke it down for me was, okay, so I've got a guy cutting, like it was a very, like a lot of things in goaltending, we see a new technique come out. There's one, the Panda, which is like a, a, a flattened out overlap. Um, to deal with a, a, a threat coming down the wing where he might shoot sharp angle on you because he's got it on his forehand, or he could just, with all that speed, wrap it on you. So if you square up and he pump fakes you and you drop to your knees and he goes for a wrap, well, you're now squared up at the far boards and that's a huge rotation recovery. You're probably not beating him to the back post. I gave up one of those the other day. And let me tell you, the guy wasn't traveling at an NHL speed. It's a big <laughs> push. It's a big rotation. So we flatten out. And we still have that short side seal. And by rubbing our butt up against the post, which is where the panda nickname comes from, because it, it kind of it looks like a panda rubbing up against a bamboo. That's what the the coach uh, of the Calgary Flames, uh, it was Jordan Siglet, the director that came up with that one. Um, we sort of protected ourselves from a, a bank pass, which happens when we're outside our net. But by flattening out, we're able to make that push more easily. It is very situation specific. A lot of people took that and they over applied it in wrong situations and they got beaten. It's like, it doesn't work. It's designed for one play. And the barrel roll was very much like that. And Dom explained, like, if I've got a guy in front cutting to his forehand to go around me and I drop, I'm paddled down, I go paddle down with the blocker and then I extend the blocker to force him out around me further, what does he have to do? He has to extend his hands. Well, now, as soon as he extends his hands as a shooter, what can he no longer do? Raise the puck. When your hands are way out in front, you can no longer raise the puck. So now I know he's had to extend his hands. He can't raise the puck. So I swing my other arm over top to cover the bottom of the net. So that's the roll. Now, and, and, but of course the shooter can as he continues his momentum, he can pull that puck back in. And now he's maybe able to raise it. Cause if I don't have anybody pressuring him, he's got that time. Well, now I continue with my role by bringing my pads and I'm paraphrasing here, but this is how he explained it to me. My pads come up straight up in the air. Now there's your reverse barrel roll. So picture that, right? He's got both arms along the ice and his pads are sticking straight up. What is it? It's an upside down butterfly. His arms are taking away the bottom of the net. He's got his pads up to take away aerial space. Should that guy manage to collect himself enough to raise it above his arms? Like I've heard that Dom's and I can't remember where I read this. So hopefully if I've got it incorrect, somebody will, will, will pardon my ignorance. But um, I heard that he plays chess at a like sort of maybe not a grand champion level, but not far below it. Like that's the way he thinks. Um, He's obviously an incredibly smart man. That's the way he approached goaltending. Like, like the way he did things, the way he cut off angles, the way he understood vertical angles, like it was just so far ahead of the curve. And I think the barrel roll is a really great example. We just see a sprawl and we think it's instinctual and it's athletic. And listen, like 
I, I think the best line uh, I read on, I used it in a story, but I'm pretty sure I didn't come up with it. Uh, <laughs> brain like a computer, spine like a slinky. Like getting into that position isn't easy, but it wasn't just because he could athletically. There was a real thought process that went into it. I'll give you one last Dom story. Um, we work at a company called uh, Sense Arena, which does virtual reality for shooters now as well as goaltenders. And it's crazy. Like it's crazy what, what like this stuff is realistic. Devin Levi, who is one of the next great goalies in the NHL, in my opinion, uses this stuff as a warm up. You can put on a headset in your living room, not have to get on the ice and see pro level shots, read pro level releases, and it feels like it's coming at you. Attach the the paddles that they come with to the glove and the blocker, and it's like you're playing goal. Um, it's based in the in 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 the Czech Republic, I guess Czechia now. And Dom came to the offices. And so he's got the headset on and like you're moving around. Like I literally almost broke my hand the first time because I ignored the warning about setting up a safe space. I put it on and I couldn't help myself. And I punched out at a blocker safe sitting in this very chair in my office, uh, hit my desk so hard. I thought I was going to break my finger, knocked coffee all over my computer. Like you are so immersed in this space. So Dom's in there and he's basically in like an empty room and he's like checking the posts. And he said to them, I wish I, I, I made a note of it or what he said to them one centimeter gap as he reached his blocker to the post. He's like, that post is a centimeter off. And they went and checked and they're like, yeah, it might be. <laughs> That's the level of precision uh, of sort of precision and spatial awareness that Dom Hashik played the game with. And so maybe I'm just geeking out because all those stories, but I think when you combine that with what he did, like his save percentage, relative to the averages of those seasons uh man like the all the heart trophies and how well they were deserved like like with all due respect to juan verdur he's my goat and he's my guy for game seven so it wasn't it was rapid fire i didn't give you a quick answer but anytime we talk about dom i gotta geek out a little bit that's fine hey i geeked out with steve Larmer about him because he was talking about him in practice and how much he said because they had eddie belfour and they had dominic koshik dominic koshik was the backup to eddie belfour which is an insane goalie duo probably the best one of all time when you think about it that's a good point and he's like, in practice, it was tougher to score on Dom because he just went so hard. And he goes, there's no, there was no turnoff switch between game and practice. It was the same intensity and the same level. And he's he just said that how he knew right away that he was gonna be next level. See, and that's and that matters, right? Like, and we'll tie it back to Aiden Hill, how we started this conversation. Like that paddle save, that's not technical. There are some components you can make sure you have compete in drills as a goalie coach to bring that out of a goalie. Um, but he got caught, right? And so, yeah, you want to get eyes to it. There are there are visual attachment components to making a save like that. But at the end of the day, you have to have that compete at this level. And there are guys that don't. There are guys that, that they get outside of the butterfly box. It's like, oh, crap, I can't make a proper push to get across. And increasingly, those guys don't last at pro, in pro hockey because you have to have that drive to have that innate compete level. When you combine, like I said, the the spine like a slinky, the brain like a computer with that compete level for Dom and the ability to process and be one step ahead of like, man, when he would come up with those flying poke checks, he had like, think about how early he had to make that read and anticipate when that guy would put his head down to have the success rate he did. If I did, if you were to do that without... Like he recognized when that shooter would look down at his stick. And and if you wait till the shooter does it and then start your dive, 
it's too late because by the time you get there, he's looked up and pulled it around like that. For me, guys would just be pumping it in the empty net behind me all day while I lay out on the ice like a you know spread eagle going, what the hell just happened? But his anticipation and, and the timing of it was so meticulous in the way he processed it. Like, yeah, we could probably do an I we could probably do an hour on Dom. And I only know like little surface things about Dom. <laughs> like people that like a Mitch Korn that really grew up with him in Buffalo and helped put those pieces of the puzzle together and connect those dots for Dom. Man, the stories they could tell. Well, let's hope you get him on the podcast. I actually, I'm scared for him if you get him on the podcast. I, I we might, he might have to go into hiding then afterwards. You have him on for a three hour episode. Yeah, yeah, he'd never talk to me again. <laughs> All right, last question before I let you go. Um, 2020, 2023. No, sorry, 2030, 2030, seven, seven years. years. Now, who's the best goalie in the NHL? How old's Igor right now? Like, and I'm not just doing this to butter up the the Rangers folks. Oh, is he 26 now? Is he 20? Yeah, so he's 30. See, he could be seven see. years from now. Takes see. care Hold of himself. On. Hold on, let me see. I was thinking to say 25. Uh, Igor, but... Oh, he just turned 27. Just turned 27. Yeah, see, so that's that's seven years from now. So he'll be, he'll be uh, math 34. 34, math yeah. Is, math, math is hard, right? Yeah. So honestly, like, oh, I'm looking at the list. This is a really tough question. You know, it could be. It could be an Igor Shesterkin. Or Anilia Sorokin. My God, we haven't even mentioned UC Saros. And don't get me started on the absurdity that he's not on the Vesna finalist ballot. How right is now. he available on trade all of a sudden? I, like, why is his name to him? Why would they trade him? Oh, man, would I be leaping all over that one? Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> and I think Saros, and you look at Dustin Wolf and the success he's had. Mm-hmm. And as an undersized guy, I was at the draft in Vancouver where Dustin Wolf almost didn't get picked, had a whole contingent up with him, family, friends, fans from Everett waiting for him to get picked. He almost didn't get picked. It was the last round. Like they were starting to think they were going home. Seventh round. Calgary, Calgary takes a flyer. Liked him, but again, like everyone else, too small, 5'11". Um, look at the success that he's having. Look, uh-huh. look at the success that Devin Levi had instantly. Look at the success that Saros having at five foot eleven. I'm sorry, I don't care how many times they list him at six foot. He's five eleven. Um, maybe. Um, so maybe our answer. We don't know our answer yet because the game continues to evolve and the position continues to evolve at such a pace that the best goalie in 2030 may not be in the NHL right now, and he might not be a six foot five monster that everyone keeps drafting. He might be five foot eleven if the game continues to become so East West. So, um, you know, I'm going to cop out a little bit here and not have an answer. Uh, I would happily pick Igor Shesterkin, even at age 34. I, I just believe so much in the talent that I see there. And we clearly see the drive. It's just a matter of channeling it into um, focus as opposed to expectations and, and some of the tension that can add to your game as you know, to, to again, quoting Clark, the Vancouver Canucks goalie coach, you know, tension is the enemy of goaltending. And that's where we talk about getting widened out and stiffening up. Um, he may not be in the NHL right now. He may not look like what we consider to be the best goalie in the NHL right now. The game changes so fast. It's why at the risk of, you know, having a, at the door asking for my goalie union card out of the wallet. I always say, if I'm a general manager, the one thing I avoid with goaltenders is term. There's a very mm-hmm. few, it's a very select list that you would go term on. And I think that's because the game changes. Like look at the success that quick had um, in his early years. And they signed him to the long-term contract. And, you know, by the end of it, I don't think, I don't think Jonathan quick became a worse goaltender, but I think some of the things he did are tougher to execute um in today's game 
because of the style of play. Matt Murray didn't forget how to play goal, but the things he did to win two Stanley Cups, the way he played doesn't work in today's NHL. And so the past two years, what a lot of people don't realize is he's adjusted those things. And through that process, there have been some ups and downs, but I've seen enough signs when he's healthy. And that's a massive question mark that I still think he can get back to being that guy, or maybe not quite to the two time cup winner, but being a really good goalie in the NHL. And there's some underlying statistics in the last two years that have shown that if he can stay healthy, but it's not by playing the way he did in Pittsburgh that had to change because mm-hmm. the game changed and what he did just, what what is that like 17 and 18 right like that's five years ago yeah so that's a that's a smaller distance than what you're asking me to project the best goal in the nhl like not as a to say it's not fair question i just think it shows you how fast the game changes that a guy whose style worked to the tune of two cups that style and then a lot of it is about low and wide and locked in um and and because of the way the pens defended and because other teams hadn't figured out the value of east west the way they have since in part by mimicking the penguins um you know that it changes so damn fast that it would be it would be tough to make that prediction it it may not look anything like what i consider to be the best goalie in the nhl right now the game it probably will have some similarities but that's how much the game can change and so um as much as i believe in in the mobility as a foundation and that igor checks all those boxes who knows that goalies haven't come up with a way to be faster and even more efficient than he is seven years from now when we get to 2030. Well, I hope he's still there. I hope he's still in New York and maybe oh. signed to a nice long-term deal. Are you, and Are you guys <laughs> spoiled or what? Hey, like from Hank to him, like, by the way, it's like, like, I don't know if you use the video on this, but like, I, I've been sort of, I got everything in the wrong direction. Cause like the, I see that Lundqvist back there. See yeah. Lundqvist back yeah. there, and yeah, you know, it's the it's the Lundqvist, Price, and Luongo, the Olympic winner. So we, we only got champions on the back wall. I love it. I love it. Uh, hey, listen, if you're a goalie, you gotta check out Kevin. You gotta check out In Goal Magazine, and they have everything there. Pro reads are unbelievable. The pro tips, obviously, your podcast, the drills. I mean, it's an unbelievable source of knowledge for goalies. And if you're a goalie nerd or as a hockey nut like myself, it's great to read it. Great to watch your videos, and I, I'm I see the joy in your face when you get to try on all the new gear and everything. Um, I hope you don't have to return that stuff. I hope that's on the arm and that you get to hold on to that. But uh, thank you for joining us, and thank you for all the hard work you put into the hockey community, and uh, keep on putting out the great stuff. Oh, man, thanks for the kind words. Uh, I love that. I always say when we do these, and they say plug your stuff, and I say in goal. If you're not a goalie, it's probably not for you. But it sounds like you found it. Like you don't have to actually like there. There is if you if you like to geek out and learn more about it. I guess there is something for you. And if you do play the position, there's you know just frankly nothing else like it in the world. We 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 pick the brains of national hockey leaguers, American hockey leaguers, the best in the world, uh, top coaches from Europe, um, and bring their answers to goalies everywhere so that they can not to tell them how to play, but those so they can see the tools that everyone else is using and pick which ones they want to add to their toolboxes. They try and get better goalies, whether you're a you know youth playing major junior or a beer leaguer or a pro. Um, we have subscribers from all walks of life, including NHL goalie coaches and NHL goalies that actually tell me they go in and watch the videos and look for things. So it's uh, it's been a fun 
fun thing to be a part of. I, I'm happy that this has become my life. And uh, I love that people like yourself are interested enough to let me ramble on about it for nearly an hour. No, I love it. And like, I, yeah, like I said, if you need me to re record that for you or you want to use that, you know, for promo, you go right ahead. My, my <laughs> yep. goalie extent is knee hockey. That's about it from the goalie side. Uh, but I love it. I love, like I said, I love the gear. I love the mask since I was little. And uh, no, you did a do a great job, you know, bringing that to uh, to everybody. And I love, I really like the pro reads. I think that's all. That's my favorite favorite of everything. Of when you sit down and um, I just like when you say, you know, on the top if you don't want to read, go to the video. I think that's so funny. You know, if you, if you don't feel like reading today, just watch the video. Well, I mean, we try and make it educational. So like, here's the situation. What what are you looking for so that young goalies are thinking through the process? We're, there, You know, my business partner is, has an education background. And so we try and bring, you know, not just that here's a video for you to watch of the goalie plan, but like want them to think about it. But at the end of the day, today's kids don't like to read. So <laughs> straight to the video, just watching it, watching an NHL goalie break down a play, break down a save. Um, you're going to get better just listening to that. Yeah. And when they hey, I watch the Halak stuff. It's great. But Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. And we'll definitely get you back on. We'll definitely get some more rambles. And hopefully this summer, we'll keep an eye on the podcast and some guests. Maybe you get Halak back on there. We can listen to him. And uh, who knows? Maybe he breaks some news with you. He's returned to New York. Who knows? Yeah. I, I, I hope that, I hope that comes to fruition. I did, like I said, uh, you know, not to ramble and, and be repetitive, but I do believe that's a good fit. And I hope, uh, I hope it's one that continues for both the Rangers, Rangers fans and for Yarrow himself. All right. Well, have a great summer. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks so much to Kevin for joining us. Uh, just a great guy. Uh, I've loved his stuff. Like I said, in the gold magazine is so good. You don't need to be goalie to listen to, to read it, to watch his stuff. Uh, any hockey fan would love it. And uh, they do a great job there. I really appreciate it. They retweet a lot of my goalie stuff that I put out for my goalie interview. So I always appreciate them. And, uh, and Kevin does a great job also covering, you know, the, the Canucks there for NHL.com. Uh, the guy wears many hats, very busy guy, so I really appreciate him in the middle of Stanley Cup Finals jumping on the show. And uh, we will definitely get Kevin back on the show. I, I can tell already people are going to want to see him again on the show. Uh, just from the interview, I got that sense that people are definitely going to want to get him back on. And, uh, and I cannot wait to get him back on during the season. Talk some Igor. Talk, you know. Hopefully, Igor starts out hot, and me and him can talk some Vesna talk. He already said that he's gonna take him for the Vesna, uh, for a ticket in Vegas. You know, he's gonna go to Vegas and get a nice little Igor Shesterkin Vesna Trophy winning ticket and hold on to that. And I want to support him and back him up a hundred percent on that. So I love it. Uh, I can't thank him enough for coming on the show. That was great. And uh, and now let's enter interview with Pat. All right, we're now joined by a very special guest. This man's done everything he can do in the hockey business. Former player, coach. Owner, agent, Pat Zirko, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me here, Kyle. Excited to talk a little hockey with you, buddy. Yeah. So first off, you go from playing to coaching to agent to uh, you're an owner for. What's your favorite part so far of hockey? Yeah. Well, I love it all. I think uh, my passion. I love building teams. You know, I love to uh, look at a team and and kind of say, okay, this is what we need to have success. You know, whether we're building down the middle. And then once we figure that out, uh, who, who would be, you know, the right fits on the wings, uh, the goaltending. Uh, so that was a big passion of mine. I feel like being an agent now, I do that for a lot of teams. You know, I'll talk to a general manager and say, you know, what do you need? What are you looking for? Where were you weak last year? Where do you need to improve? Uh, what type of character are you looking for? And we're able to place those players to the opportunity. So I really enjoy what I'm doing now. 
And then your, your eight pro seasons of playing, you played in U.S., Canada, Italy, Switzerland, Germany. Uh, what yeah. was your favorite stop? I love Germany. Uh, I mean, they were all great, but Germany was awesome. We uh, we played in Hanover with the Hanover Scorpions there, and uh, the team was uh, sponsored by the rock band the Scorpions. So we got to hang out with those guys all the time, and it was a lot of fun. So we, we had some great times there. What's uh, What's your craziest travel story? Oh, man, we've had some crazy stories. Well, we had training camp. Here's the best one. When I was playing for the Scorpions, uh, we decided that the GM there, he's uh, he's quite the character. He uh, decided we're going to have training camp in Mallorca, Spain. So we get to Germany, and we get we go, okay, training camp. Well, now we're flying to Spain. There's no arenas in Mallorca, Spain. We stayed on the beach for a week. That was our training camp. <laughs> that's Party pretty. That's a beach. good surprise. That's a good surprise. Yeah. We were running up and down the beach, just hung over. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's better than some of the guys go over to Russia and they get that for training camp and they end up in the gulag up there in the in the uh, snow, you know, running running the snow in August. <laughs> oh, it's crazy. No, it's some of those Russian training camps are rough. There's no doubt about that. Uh so you, you coach the London Knights, which obviously is, is such a great franchise there for years, and all these mm-hmm. players have come through here. And you coached some unbelievable angel talent and John Tavares, Pat Maroon, who seems like, you know, he's, he's going to win a cup every year, except for this year, you know, he's, he's yeah. had that run there, but uh, that Kadri who again, Stanley cup champ from last year, uh, John Carlson, my favorite players in the NHL. Now Del Zotto, who I loved mm-hmm. him with the Rangers, but he had some great talent you had there. Yeah. You know, looking back, uh, you know, when you're coaching junior, you know, the players are real good, but you never really know, you know, how their career is going to turn out and, Looking back, most of those guys are, you know, in 1990. I think Pat Murray's in 88. But uh, now, you know, they've kind of been in the NHL 12, 13, 14 seasons now. And you look back and say, wow, what a special group of guys that, you know, we went to the rink every day and they were sitting in the locker room. And, you know, I don't want to say we took it for granted, but you just never know, right? You're just there. You're doing your job. You're trying to make the kids better. And uh, we had unbelievable team. And, you know, there's even more guys, guys like Phil Veroni and Zach Ronaldo. You know, Zach played a long time in the NHL, too. Big, tough guy. Played hard. Uh, there were some great, great players that we had come through there. So lots lots of fun memories, for sure. What kind of celebration was in that coach's room when you found out Tavares was acquired? Well, we were in on the deal. So actually, Mark Hunter and I, we drove from London, Ontario, to uh, just a town outside uh, uh, Guelph, Ontario. So it was about an hour and a half drive. We met at that time the new owner of the Oshawa Generals, who's uh, Rocco Tulio. He had just bought the team. So this has got to be 2008 now, uh, I believe. I have to look back. But I think it was 08 or 09. I can't remember. Yeah, because he was, uh, he was number one in 09. Yeah, so it had to be that year. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was January 09, just before the trade deadline, because the trade deadline is January 10th. And it was early January. We drove to meet this new owner, Rocco Tulio. Mark, myself, and Rocco, we had coffee. And the whole deal was about uh, how we're going to get uh, John Tavares over to London. And uh, by the time we left having coffee, we had given them Christian Thomas, who I now represent in Europe, and uh, Mike Zanier, the goalie. And we ended up getting Del Zotto and uh, Tavares, and we gave them a bunch of draft picks. So we left that calling Dale on the car ride home saying, we got Tavares and Del Zotto. We're like, why not? We're Del Zotto coming to this deal. And we had given them a bunch of picks and uh, – yeah, the rest of six is three. John was unbelievable when he came to us, and uh, what what a what a player he used to say to me. Pat, you meet me in the morning uh, for practice. Um, I'm like, well, Johnny, we're not on until you know two o'clock. He's like, I want to go on and work on a few things, and it'd be nine in the morning. I'd go on the ice with Johnny, and I'd pass him some pucks, 
And he'd be like, no, no, don't pass on me, like, on my stick. He'd, like, flick them at me, like, in crazy areas because he wanted to, you know, work on his skills, batting down pucks and, like, crazy stuff that you wouldn't even imagine. He was just so creative like that. That's pretty, And it was 18, too. So, like, for him to know, yeah. like, you know, I need to work on that, it's pretty crazy. It was. It was. And he was so uh, – what a true pro. He was a pro then, and uh, I mean, the Leafs are very fortunate to have him. You know, I didn't know if he would leave the New York Islanders at the time, but uh, yeah, I mean, now he's, you know, he's home in Toronto. That's where his family's from. He's got a few kids now, so the Leafs are very fortunate to have Johnny T. Talk about the Leafs. I think you're the only guy from that coach in the sewer part of the, the Greyhounds there who's not in Toronto. I feel like everyone from that organization <laughs> filed Dubas there. It's so true. And I knew Dubas when I was coaching in the Sioux because he had just left school and uh, he got into the agent business and he had a couple players on the Sioux Greyhounds at that time. And he'd hang around my coach's office and we talked quite a bit. And, um, you know, it kind of moved real quick. From there, I left the Sioux. I went and coached pro. And uh, we started the franchise in Fran- San Francisco. And uh, Dubas uh, left the agent business to become the GM of the Sioux Greyhounds through family connections and stuff. And he had some really good ideas. And, uh, you know, through uh, the growth of analytics, and he was you know, one of the guys at the forefront, he ended up being in Toronto for the last nine years. Yeah, he's turned into a pretty pretty solid GM there. But, you know. Yeah. It sounds got, like he's, he's going got, to Pittsburgh now. That sounds like, like it's in a, it might be good for my Rangers because uh, I'm uh, I'm still holding. I hope that Mike Sullivan somehow gets free from uh, from Pittsburgh. Maybe if he brings his boy Sheldon Keith. Yeah, 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 that's a good one. Yeah, because they're looking for a new coach there. I was kind of shocked when they let Gerard go, but you know they you had high expectations at a hell of a team there. You know, but and uh, you know Patty Kane was a good kid that uh, we coached in London too, and Sam Gagne they. They were both there the year that uh, before I got there, but they ended up playing for us while well, through exhibition. And Sammy Gagne came to Europe with us and stuff, so I got to know Patty Kane real well. And you know, Patty went to New York there at the end, and you know, he's not a guy that can play 16 minutes a night. You know, he's not going to bring you enough, you know. But they had such a deep team, there was no way to give him any more. So he never really saw what Pat could do, even the fact that he's getting a little older. But you know, two or three years ago, he was the MVP of the league. He didn't forget how to play, you know. Mm-hmm. So. It was just circumstances there. Out of all those young kids you've seen come through in, in your OHL, even in the Coast League too, is there a guy who in particular sticks out to you like that was the best player I've ever saw at age 18 or wherever it is? I don't know if it was the best player, but I'm talking about person, character, and everything is Yanni Gord. Yanni is unbelievable. Yanni came to play for us in San Francisco in the ECHL. He signed as a tryout agreement with the San Jose Sharks, never drafted. They sent him to Worcester. They kicked him down the curb. Next thing you know, he's in San Francisco, and this kid comes in our room. And my captain at the time was Scott Langdon. He says, whose son is this? The kid looked so young. He didn't have a hair on him. And it was Yanni Gord. And he was the most unbelievable, professional, hardworking kid. Uh, There was an amazing article they wrote about uh, us and him uh, in The Athletic a few years ago after he won his first Stanley Cup and signed that big contract. And now, you know, he's won two Stanley Cups. He was unbelievable in the playoffs for Seattle. And it just goes to show you, if you, you know, if you're a hockey guy, you know, look at everyone. Like, this guy was undrafted, worked hard, small little guy, maybe five, nine tops. And uh, the success he had is unbelievable. So you never want to give up and you want to keep trying to pursue your dreams because he's a great example. I was thrilled when he went to Seattle. I wanted him out of Tampa. I was tired of seeing him beat the Rangers every year. I, he's just a guy that, like, you just know he's going to score a big goal or he's going to make the, you know what I mean? He's a guy who just, he knows, 
he makes the perfect play every time. Like he is close to the corners. Like he does everything. That guy. Yeah, he's uh, he's phenomenal person. If I text Yanni right now, he'll respond. You know, he's one of those guys. He's, he's a great person and uh, couldn't be happier for all the success he's had for sure. Now you talk about your time in San Fran. You became you were the owner. You you created a franchise out of thin air. I mean, how cool is yeah. that? Man, we did. Uh, it was unbelievable what we did there. It was. Uh, it started out. Um, my wife and I. You know, it was an idea over you know a glass of wine. Uh, which led to some more discussions. Uh, us, where we were in San Francisco, she had some business there. And I thought, you know, this is an unbelievable sports market. Um, and it just kind of took off from there. We did everything. We built it right from the scratch, from the name to the colors to, you know, raising the money. It, the franchise was unreal. We would have been there for still today. We knew the American Hockey League was coming. Uh, we were about five years too early. Uh, before all those teams in the ECHL became the American Hockey League, like Bakersfield and all them. And uh, we were just early, and we needed a new arena, which was when they tore down um, the old um, Candlestick Park where the San Francisco 49ers played. When they tore that down, they had plans to build a four or 5,000-seat arena, whole development. It was just too early. We had too many partners, and we just couldn't hang on after year two or the middle of year two because otherwise we'd still be there. But it was uh, – a a concept I really believed in. We sold out uh, the first game. Uh, it was unbelievable, the atmosphere. And we had a great team. We had a lot of good players. Like, we would have competed to, to you know, to win a Kelly Cup, I think, in year two. Uh, but it was quite uh, quite the experience, for sure, to, to start something like that from scratch, raise it, and, just, you know, spend all that time to, to get to the first game was uh, special. Not only building the roster, you know, signing all the inaugural players and, and uh, it, it was crazy. It was, it was a hell of a, a time, hell of a run, a lot of work, but uh, what an experience I'll never forget. Is that an itch you still got? Do you still want to do that again, maybe? Yeah, yeah I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's hard now. Like uh, My agent story, I, when I retired, I started out as an agent, and it's all full circle now. And and what we do with Optimal World Sports, you know, we, we focus on, uh, we bring all the North American players to Europe. We, we're licensed in all the countries, and we place players in every country overseas and Russia. And uh, that that's more our, that's our business. That's our niche. And Optima has been around for 30 years. They represented me when I played in the nineties and then Brett Callahan uh, and Ron Chipperfield, who played for the Oilers. They were two of the founding founders of the company with Gary Seigel. They both wanted to retire at the same time. This is like 2016, 2017. And uh, I just got fired from coaching in Boldano, you know, typical coaching stuff. And uh, it was just, it made sense. It wasn't an easy decision, but it made sense that they were retiring. I was going to take over and, with Gary. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've, we've uh, had a few good years. COVID was tough. We battled through that and we're still getting over the, the, you know, the hill of COVID. But, um, you know, we're working hard. We work hard every day. We're there for our players and uh, we travel all over Europe to see them. So uh, it's a passion too. It's a lifestyle. So it's something that I, I don't think I'm going to be able to, very far from anymore. What's the uh, toughest country to negotiate? What's the toughest league to negotiate with? You know, the, the uh, I don't want to say, you know, the Czechs, the Slovaks, and the Russians, those Eastern European people, you know, after the war, you know, we have our reasons. I believe it's like this, but, uh, you know, they're they're hardened people. You know, they're not people like us. Like, hey, how you doing, buddy? And, you know, you give a hug, and you're going to be able to you know, have a beer and, you know, kind of deal with, you know, and their mindset is always – it's the opposite of us. You know, we give everyone the benefit of the doubt. They give no one the benefit of the doubt first. It's the opposite, right? So you're always, 
you know, when you're talking to them that they feel like they're getting screwed somehow, but it's really not the case. So it's, uh, they're, they're a little different, but once you get to know them and you, you build some trust and rapport, they're, they're great people too. Any of your guys ever come back with any crazy stories in the KHL? We've heard so many oh, nuts man, things so, between cattle yeah. on planes and stuff like that. Yeah, no, it's crazy. But uh, I actually had dinner last night with Yarmir Jaeger. So he's uh, the owner of Kladno in Czechoslovakia. He came to see the Florida game. So we had dinner with him last night. Uh, we've got a few players on his team. So we had a, we had a lot of fun seeing Jaeger. And then uh, they had him on the Jumbotron during the game last night. And the crowd went crazy. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So and he's still um, suited yeah, up, right? Does he still play yeah, this year? He played, yeah, he played this year, 52 years old, man. He's unbelievable. 51. He's 51. He's 72. Because I'm a 73. He's a year older than me. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. He's 6'2", 285. And he still looks, it's unreal. It's unreal. Still has the thighs. Mm-hmm. Still has still has the thighs and hips working. Unbelievable, man. It's unbelievable. <laughs> he's uh, he's something else. I was so, I, and funny story about Jaeger. So we were just, we saw him here a few months ago in Cladno. And after the game, he says, you know, come on down. Say, I will go down to see our players. And here's Jaeger with his shirt off, a weight vest on. He's in his shorts and running shoes. He's got a big, thick elastic band tied to the door. And he's like stretched the band out as far as he can. And here's this guy, 51 years old, with a stick, with a weight on the stick. And he's doing this. <laughs> After the game, 51 years old. Like it's, like it's, it's unreal. Crazy, crazy. So I had, I had Danny Cristo on uh, who played with him there. And he's like, it's one of those yeah, things where it's yeah. like, he's yeah. like, you know, do you, if he's not even open, do I still pass him? Like he's the owner. He's, he's, he's like, do I take the shot? He's like, because it was a real mind game on the power play. <laughs> yeah, no, we represent Danny. We had Danny over there. We got him the job and man, we had some funny stories when Danny was talking like, you know, and, and yeah, he's not a big talker. You know, he's not one of those guys that was raw, raw kind of guy. He was kind of quiet. So you never know how to take him. But uh, that was quite a year for those guys. And they didn't have an arena to that year. That was a crazy year because, the rink was getting rebuilt, and um, they used to bus an hour every day to practice and games and everything. So it was a tough year for them. Now the rink in Cladnell is rebuilt. It's beautiful, and they did a really good job. They kind of took the old structure and just renovated it, raised the roof and everything, and it's real nice, real nice. And Cladnell is a great town. It's like 15 minutes from Prague, so it's, it's a great spot. Yeah. Uh, so you, you coach over Italy in Switzerland. It, was there a language barrier between your players and you? Like, was there like a – any issues there with that? No, I, I speak Italian. So I'm mm-hmm. my time. I have a second language Italian and I, I speak pretty good German. If I, I had been out of Germany for a long time, but I still understand a lot and I get by. If I start focusing on it, I'd speak German as well. And, but when you're coaching over there, it's all English, you know, you have your imports, but all the players speak English and uh, Switzerland's an unbelievable country there. They just languages to them is like second nature. They speak French, Italian, German, some of them Russian, Czech, Slovak and everyone speaks English. Like you walk in any store, uh, you could speak English and they're going to know what's going on. But Switzerland's a real unique place, small country like this. And if you can imagine you're on the Italian part, like Lugano and Ambry in this area, and you literally drive through a mountain five miles, you come out the other side of the mountain five miles, you go into the gas station and they're speaking French and they don't understand Italian five, five miles ago. It's, it's unreal. Like the lady at the front is all of a sudden speaking French. It's like, what just happened? So it's a real, <laughs> real unique country. It's uh, it's languages to them. is just second nature. It's incredible. 
Uh, so I saw a video of you. I'm sorry, I put this out there. I saw a video of you. Of a, you got a little angry at some referees during your time there in San Fran. <laughs> I saw it. It was at the – what's the maddest you ever been a ref? Oh, man. I got to tell the story because everyone sees the video, but they don't know the story. Okay, This is still pre-video cameras and all the funky stuff we have today. You know, this is you know going back 11 years ago. We were still archaic a little bit. And we had the old-fashioned gold judges, the guy behind the net that flick on the light when they see the puck cross the line. And we had a couple older guys, volunteers, or maybe we paid them something, but they worked for us, okay? So, you know, you'd think they'd be biased to us a little bit, right? So here we are. This game's going on. Puck goes off the crossbar, literally off the crossbar. The light does not go on, okay? Game continues. Goes on for about a minute and a half or so. And then the, there's a whistle. And then I see the coach of the other team, Matt Thomas at the time, he's screaming at the referee that there's a goal. It was a goal. I'm thinking, they can't be talking about the crossbar. That was just a minute and a half ago. Fuck, this is no, excuse my language, this is, this is no goal. Anyways, the refs and the linesmen start, they have a little meeting. They skate over the goal judge. Next thing you know, you see the goal judge turn the light on. And they said, it's a goal. I go, what the heck? How could that be? Not only did we play for a minute and a half, there was no thought. It didn't even go in the net, hit the crossbar, and our goal judge is putting on the light against us. So I was just irate. That story never – I'm like, you're fired and you get out. (laughs) (laughs) I was just losing it. So not only did they count the goal, they put the time back on the clock. It was was unbelievable. It was one of those moments you're just shaking your head going – this really just happened. Holy moly. I think the best part of the best so, video is that the refs are just skating around and you're just yeah. you're just going back and forth and you're running up and down the bench just looking for anybody that can even look at you. And you're just <laughs> like, I just need some explanation here. I just need someone to tell me. Somebody come tell me what the heck is going on because that puck didn't go in the net. And sure and enough, the, we lost the goal by one, you know, one goal. One goal, there, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh man! And, and I listen. If I'm the ref, uh, good move by him, staying away. You know, I wouldn't skate by that. I wouldn't skate by that bench for the next ten minutes. I would just. <laughs> yeah, he's skating the other side of the rink the whole game. Yeah, he's exactly. Yeah, go right up the middle. Not yeah. even worry about the boards. I wouldn't even call yeah, penalty no. on that side. We had a that was a crazy, crazy moment. But uh, there were some great times. We had some real good players in San Francisco. Some great fans. Yeah, it's a great, great spot. And here's a great story. So there's a young boy at the time, I don't know, he's 12 years old, 11, 12 years old, and he comes to all the San Francisco, you know, 40, uh, our, the Bulls games, and uh, wants to be a hockey player. You know, whatever. Fast forward 10 years later, here's a kid. I just got a kid a job in Switzerland. His name is Robbie Jackson. And Robbie said to me, Pat, I have to tell you, I used to come to the San Francisco Bulls games, and that's what made me want to be a hockey player. I said, are you kidding me? This guy went four years at Minnesota. Uh, he played pro in the American League. He signed an NHL deal, and here we just got him a job in Switzerland. And he's telling me when he was 12, he's come to the Bulls games. All worth <laughs> it. Right? All worth Unreal. It. I was like, okay, so that, there you go. That's it. That's what it was all about, you know? Well, that's the thing so with Arizona now. That's the whole thing with Arizona now. That's, that's the worry. They, they finally have this good youth program going in Arizona, but the Coyotes get moved or relocated. The concerns yeah. that all this youth hockey is going to go away. Yeah. No, it's unbelievable. That's what's going to happen. The youth hockey will die because they need the big club. Look at Vegas. They've done an unbelievable job with their youth hockey. Mm-hmm. 
You know, you look at Seattle's growing exponentially. It, it continues to just continue to grow. Every time you put a team in a new market, minor hockey grows. Men's league grows. The desire to play hockey grows. I mean, it's an evolution, right? It's what it's all about. You wait five years from now, we're going to see players drafted out of Las Vegas. You know, they, they started, you know, just it takes time, but you'll, you'll see that for sure. We see them in Florida now, right? If we feel like there's more oh, of a kind of Florida, yeah. and, the, and the good thing yeah. about thing with you know Florida and and Arizona is they're great places for people. To, you know these guys that retire and then they start coaching down there, and now all of a sudden you get an NHL exactly. level coaching, which is great. Exactly what's going on? Yeah, Florida's a big market too. I, you know, I live uh, 20 minutes from the ECHL team, the Everglades. There, packed. So many guys live down here. We're an hour to the other side, Sunrise, where the Panthers play. And the hockey in the between there, it's unbelievable how many players and ex-players and their families live down here and they're coaching minor hockey and then places to train. And it's impressive. It's impressive. It really gotta, is. And I got to ask you about, so crypto is becoming bigger and bigger now, especially in the fantasy sports and hockey world. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have D sports Alliance that, you're, uh, that you've created here and that has all these players that, you know, you represent and everything else. And I'm involved with, um, UFHL, which is the UFS Sports, which is now mm-hmm. uh, Sam Hockey. Uh, but mm-hmm. this is now growing exponentially. So talk yes. about your involvement in that and how much bigger that that can get from a, a crypto side and the, the, the connection of Locker and everything. Yeah. So we're bringing you know, the new internet to pro sports, basically Web3 into pro sports. We're going to bring you know, a new revenue stream for all these clubs. We're going to give you know, just all the benefits of blockchain we're bringing to these pro teams, you know, so we're real excited at this, you know, the sports industry last year was a $600 billion industry. You know, we're going to give control and, and the data, the information back to these teams so they can have greater fan engagement with greater fan engagement. You know, from there you generate more revenue. It's like anything. It's like your fantasy sports, you're involved. Why do you love it so much? Cause you're involved. It's like even betting, you know, these betting sites continue to grow. Why? Well, when you bet on a game, you're more into it. So now when we can do these things and create greater fan engagement, you're going to have a greater relationship with the team and the fan. And that's what this is all about. And at the end of the day, it's about the data and the information and how it flows between the team and the fan. That's, that's one of the biggest things. So we're real excited about it. One of the things we're doing, one of our big partners, we're going to announce here a bunch of teams coming up, but uh, you know, everyone talks about NFTs, but uh, we're doing things like, you know, these digital assets. Well, they're not just going to be collections. Yes, there'll be some real cool collections. Imagine if you got a Connor McDavid when he was 16 years old playing in Erie, and now he's a superstar in the NHL. What's that collectible worth now as an NFT if that had been around then? So we are going to bring those in. That's going to be one aspect of some of the NFT stuff, some of the digital asset stuff. But the main stuff is about giving the fans utility. So basically... Kyle, if you, if you think about it, fan owns this NFT, certain NFT, certain player. With that NFT, he can vote on the starting lineup. How cool is that? You're a fan, and all of a sudden you can vote on the starting five for a hockey game? You're loving it, right? I picked those five guys, and, you know, imagine they score first shift or something, you know, or, you know, even get scored against, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, all, it's all part of it. So there'll be things like that. Then there'll be things like, you know, this, with this NFT, you can vote on the three stars. And, uh, you know, those kind of things, uh, NFTs that will give you entry into VIP rooms or special events with the players, you know, NFTs that uh, will be able to give you discounts on merchandise or authenticating merchandise. Uh, So all these things are a new revenue stream. And I think what you're going to see eventually will be team to fan 
tickets. You know, they'll be NFTs. Then they're commemorative. You're not going to throw them out. Like my ticket last night, I already threw it out. But it was an NFT I had in my wallet. It was commemorative. I'd be keeping it. You know, if there was some value to keep in the thing. Uh, season tickets, you know, all these things are, are what we're going to bring, um, you know, to pro sports. Uh, but then it's also the, how this all started was Danny Crystal, Italian, all you guys, they couldn't get their money out of Europe. When COVID hit, Danny had money stuck in Sweden, Czech, Russia, couldn't fly there because they wouldn't release the funds unless you flew in person. Like if this was all in crypto, I can send you money instantly to your wallet anywhere in the world. I don't need a bank account. I don't need anything. And eventually you're going to see teams opting into that way more. And we're going to give them the ability to do that through payroll services. And I'm not talking Bitcoin or, or you know, Ethereum. It'll be stable coins like USDC. So it's tied to the US dollar. The fluctuation is in there. And, you know, players will have the ability to, you know, have their bank cards, you know, linked right to their wallets. And they don't even have to go to a bank. That bank card will work anywhere in the world. It's happening already real fast. So uh, those are all the things we're doing. And then the data stuff is the most important. Like to me, uh, you know, I don't want to get into it too much right now, but if you can imagine everything that happens in a sporting event, you know, the score, who scores, who got the assist, who got the fight, penalty, hit, doesn't matter what sport. That information comes live from that event. And then all of a sudden you find it on a ticker, a live betting site, flash score, an app, anything. How do you see it so fast? Well, that information is coming in Web2 through APIs that people around the world are making a lot of money through. And the information is not theirs, right? The information actually belongs to the teams, the leagues, the clubs. So uh, we're working on a Web3 platform in that space as well to give that information and power back to the clubs. So uh, we, we've got a lot of things on the go here and uh, real excited over the next 6, 12 months. I think the most exciting thing, like you were saying, like you picked the roster, pick the um the lineup, stuff like that. And I think what people like myself and why I got involved in that side of it is People want, like you said, like ownership in something. And if you can, you know, you can't own the Rangers, but you know, if you own an NFT that has connection yeah. to the Rangers of some sort, or you can't own, you know, these European teams that have a lot more flexibility than obviously NHL teams with the kind of stuff. But if you can yeah. own a small piece of that franchise somehow through an NFT, mm-hmm. that's awesome. I think that's very cool. Uh, and it gives people connection also. Uh, you know, I've talked to, like you said, Danny, like all these guys who play overseas, and uh, I mm-hmm. love updating. Our, our fans and listeners of how they're doing. Cause it's tough finding information out on these guys that go over there. So if yeah, you own them, sure. you know, if you own an NFT or them, or you own whatever, you can kind of stay up to date with some of these guys that, that jump overseas that, um, mm-hmm. you know, you don't, it's not, you know, you're not, like you said, it's not McDavid stats you're seeing every night on ESPN, you know, it's kind of tougher. Exactly. To track out. So uh, that's very well, cool. One the, yeah. One of the other things I forgot to mention that we're, we're going to do with these is one of the things. So, we're going to create the initial NFT. So everyone that wants to own NFTs with these clubs will have to get a certain membership one. So let's say the initial NFT is part of the elite members club for the club. That's what we're inventing with uh, the Oshawa generals right now. With that, you'll have entry. So into, for example, a telegram chat. Well, the telegram chat will be official Oshawa generals telegram chat. The only way into that chat is if you have the NFT proof of concept, you get into this chat. And then the club will have one moderator. Well, he will put information into that chat that you can't get anywhere else, or you're getting it before the media. Game day, guys hurt, guys not playing, who's starting, who's hot, whatever. All in that chat before it goes public. So can you imagine where fans will be when they now have this exclusive information, even if it's an hour or half an hour before somebody else, they want to know, right? They want that exclusive information. 
this guy's not feeling well. Bus leaves at 1.30. We're staying at this hotel if you want to support the team. You know, all this information that fans, they want to be a part of. You know, if I'm spending money part of this team, I want to know I want to be part of it more as much as I can. You know, and that's what this is going to do. This is what we're excited about. That's cool. Yeah, well, you know, then you'll get people complaining on that chat too, saying, hey, they're not allowed I, in. I want to be GMs. I want to be GMs. <laughs> yeah. be GMs they won't be able to talk. They'll be, they only can read it. They'll get in. They'll be able to read it. And the clubs, the teams itself will be the moderators. They can only put the information and you can read it. So it won't be an interactive chat because you can imagine. I was going to say. I was going to say. Oh, <laughs> he sucks. Why did they do that? Those guys should get traded on. If put a guy sad. in there for an ask me anything. They'll be asking why he, you know, threw the puck away last game. Mm-hmm. But um, and, and hey, you have maybe people from Vegas uh, hanging out in there too. If uh, they start putting some injury updates in there pre, pre announcements yeah. too, that'd be buy NFTs just to get information. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get some information there when yeah. some, when your money back on the NFT you bought. Yeah, there you go. That's that's all going to happen, right? So, and uh, we're working right now exclusively with uh, Elite Prospects. I'm sure you guys are all familiar with mm-hmm. their site. And uh, we're, we've got a package we're going to present to the NHLPA where we're going to try to get these players' profiles and we're going to have an exclusive link on these sites where uh, these NFTs, we're bringing all that data, their information, their profile into an NFT on-chain. And fans will go crazy. Like, it just, uh, it's an exciting time. Nothing's easy. You know, it's not like you hit a button and you get everyone on board. It takes time. It takes a lot of work. Uh, but we're driven, we're motivated. We've got a great group of guys uh, working on our team uh, that, you know, they're working day and night, and we'll get there. We'll get there. And I think it's very cool. A guy like Sidney Crosby talked about last year, how that's the wave of the future and everything. And when I talked to Ryan Malone last year about it, he was mm-hmm. all fired up about it. He's like, hey, guys can't make money off their fantasy hockey stats, but now yeah, they can't. You know, now, they, now, now this is an avenue where they can try to find – some other revenue from that. So that's, it's very cool. It's very cool. What you're doing. I, I love it. I think it's the wave of the future too. Thanks Kyle. We're, we're excited and uh, we got a lot of work ahead of us, but we're, uh, we're, we're up to the task. Uh, there's not a day that doesn't go by that uh, we're not spending dozens of hours between all of us. And we're all over the world. We're dealing with guys in Singapore, Vietnam, China, Netherlands, you know, so the time of day doesn't even matter. If we just and sometimes you remind yourself to take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, so it's been good. I got one more question before I let you go here. Yeah. I know you're you got to run out here in a second, but uh, you look back and all the stories of the years, but I gotta ask about some pranks. People love prank stories. Were you a prankster at all during your playing days, or have you? Or I know the assistant coaches sometimes getting some pranks as well. Yeah, we had there was a lot of pranksters. I wasn't like a necessary pulling off pranks all the time, uh, but I, I was a big joker. And I used to, I'll tell you one story that we laugh about still to this day. Um, we had a player, we played in Hanover, and Gary Lehman was on our team. I don't know if you remember the name. He scored 50 goals for the Toronto Maple Leafs, wore number 11 in the late 80s. And uh, he played for us. And, uh, you know, he was just, he's a great guy, but he was very, uh, I don't want to say arrogant, but, you know, he knew he scored 50 goals in the NHL, <laughs> right? And every time he'd walked in the dressing room, he always showed up the same time every day. All of us would, all you hear is this. All right, and the whole room would stand up thinking for the honorable Gary Lehman. <laughs> so we used to do that every day. It lasted for two years. You think one day we'd miss it? No, every day was all right. <laughs> we would all stand up for Gary Lehman. So we had we had a lot of fun. So those uh, those dressing room days were the best. He probably loved it though. He probably he, yeah. deep down, I'm sure he's. Hey, listen, I scored 50 goals in the NHL. I, I'm wearing a shirt that says that around town. 
I'm surprised yeah. he well, didn't number to 50. Yeah, well, before Gary Lehman, uh, I think Austin Matthews is the first Leaf to score 50 goals that actually wasn't like a player traded like Dave Anderchuk came in after, but it was a split year. Gary Lehman was the first. There was only three 50-goal scorers. Gary Lehman was one until Austin Matthews did it. Oh, great. Well, so we found, the, we found the one guy who doesn't like Austin Matthews. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and he was an unbelievable skilled athlete, Gary Lehman. I saw something not long ago, a couple of weeks ago on Facebook. He hit a hole in one. And if someone was filming it, so he's a good golfer too. But uh, yeah, that was fun. All right. Oh, man. <laughs> well, Pat, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, definitely stay in touch because I'd love to hear more in the future about Absolutely. all the cool things you have coming on. I'm sure by next season, you'll have a, a whole boatload of stuff going on. Absolutely, buddy. Anytime we reach out and be happy to come on the show. Thank you again to Pat and Locker Token again. I really appreciate the partnership we kind of we've we've joined here and uh, and yeah, like you talked, you heard his vision for it. Like it's incredible, um, and what a career! I mean, the guy coaching agent now he was an agent maybe before coaching. He started his own franchise, owned his own. That's like the dream, right? Start your own hockey franchise, owner, coach, everything out there, doing marketing and stuff. Uh, he's done it all, so I can't thank him enough for coming on. Very busy guy. Uh, again, you know, he's made wheeling and dealing after I got in the phone call with guys uh, playing over in, I think it was Russia or somewhere, or Slovakia, I forget what you're saying, but uh, he's, you know, trying to figure out, sitting down with owners and trying to figure out where to put guys. So uh, I really appreciate him taking the time. Very busy guy. He's got wearing many hats over there. So uh, really great interview. Really fun to have him on and just kind of get his perspective and uh, kind of just learn from him. That was great to listen to him. But uh, thank you again to him and Locker Token again for setting up some interviews and uh, it was great to talk to him. And that does it for episode 136 of the Broadway Hat Podcast. Make sure you go and subscribe to the show. We, Like I said earlier, we have some great interviews coming up. we got some draft coverage coming up that you do not want to miss. So make sure you go and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. Because every five-star review we do receive a dollar is donated to Alex's Living Foundation. So please go on there, subscribe to the show, leave us a five-star review, and help an amazing company that helps fight pediatric cancer by donating uh, by just doing the five star, leaving a five star takes one minute out of your day, and a dollar is donated to that great foundation. Make sure you go subscribe to the show on Spotify. Leave us a five star review there. You can find the show on Google Play, Pandora, um, Amazon Music, anywhere you get your podcasts. You can find us there. Make sure you go and uh, go and follow the show on all social media as well. On Twitter at Broadway Hat Pod, you can find my personal Twitter account at KHOLNY for all New York Ranger news and updates. Uh, also, you can find the show on uh, Facebook and Instagram at the Broadway Hat Podcast. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.